Come, Holy Spirit, and be our great teacher. We ask this with confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. What did the man with authority do when he entered the bar? He ordered everybody around. What is your relationship with authority, I wonder? And what do you do with whatever authority you have? Are you one that likes to be in authority, or would you rather be just in the good graces of authority? Do you tend to trust authority or to question authority? And if you question, do you tend to fight that authority or run from that authority? I don't really mind being in authority. It kind of comes with the territory uh, of this call. But I would say uh, most of my, particularly early life, I wanted to stay away from authority, uh, particularly the authority of others, I mean. Uh, like I assumed that if the principal of my school knew my name, that that couldn't be a good thing uh, for sure. Uh, I, I was maybe afraid of how they would use their authority. I was probably just immature. But uh, I can remember that in seminary, uh, very early on, like maybe the first few weeks of seminary, the dean president of the seminary e emailed me and asked me to come to his office for lunch in a week. And so how did I spend that week? Fretting. What have I done? What did I do? Did they not realize that I... Uh, sort of my story coming here, or was there, was there something wrong, and they found an error in my college transcript, I just could I, I was going to get kicked out of seminary, I knew it, and so we sat there in his office, and I, I just remember waiting for the shoe to drop, right, and finally he looked at me, and he said, Joe, I just want to get to know you. I just seen you around, and I, I really want to know you. And I, I mean, it was this huge weight that came off, and Peter Moore ended up being uh, just a dear friend and mentor. That was 2003. He died in 2020 um, of a glioblastoma. But um, just his gracious, easy, kind use of his position totally flipped my view of his authority. And maybe of authority in general, because he immediately became a person to trust in my, in my mind. How do you feel about authority? Maybe it just kind of depends on the situation. One thing that is perhaps universally true is that when we have authority and we perceive that someone is trying to take that authority from us, we don't like that. And probably for good reason. But that is exactly how the chief priests and the elders felt when Jesus showed up in the Jerusalem temple. Because these elders, I mean, they had, they had been to all the right schools. They had spent years memorizing Torah. They had meticulously practiced the law day in and day out. Uh, they, and they zealously worked to make sure others did the same, Right? They were very good at being good, even if they weren't very good at being nice. 
uh, they wore the rabbinic clothing. They had worked their way up through the ranks. And here comes this, this Galilean bumpkin that he was not educated in the right schools. In fact, he was not educated in any school as far as they knew. Uh, he was not wearing the rabbinic clothing and he was often had the gall to challenge their interpretation of scripture. They didn't know he wrote it, right? And to their horror, he was not steering clear of the tax collectors and the sinners. In fact, not was he not only not steering clear, he was eating with them, he was seeking them out. And yet he had captured the imagination of the masses. He was inspiring spiritual zeal across the countryside. It seemed for all the world to be healing people. They didn't figure out quite how he was doing that. And the people were clamoring for him. En masse. Those who had historically ignored proper rabbinic authority, those who had never seemed to conform their lives to God's law, were now hanging on this Galilean's every word. And that was irritating enough, if not just outright dangerous. But just a day or two before, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. Kind of tells you where we are in the story, right? And, and, and riding in on a donkey was an obvious messianic claim straight out of the minor prophet Zephaniah. And... He had ridden on that donkey right up to the temple. And then when he got in the temple, started flipping over tables and disrupting the temple, tem, temple commerce and making moral judgments about their economic practice. And the masses of his riffraff followers were saying all sorts of things about him that should be reserved for the Messiah. Things like Hosanna to the son of David. And he would not shut them up. And so the next morning, the chief priests and the elders approach Jesus. It was an official delegation because they were the authorities. And they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? All the things that we just talked about. They are not curious Tell us about what authority. They are ticked, right? They, uh, when they say by what authority, they don't mean uh, tell us more. They mean we are the authorities and you don't have our authority. That's what they mean. Who do you think you are? Because it seems to them that Jesus is assuming to himself authority that is rightly theirs alone. Because they're the religious elite and they're the ones that get to speak for God. And Jesus' response essentially says, I will answer your question if you show me that you are worthy of the authority that you are so jealously protecting. And of course they don't, right? They take the weasel's way out. And what's brilliant about Jesus' question to them is that if they acknowledge John, that John the Baptist was sent by God, then they're going to have to acknowledge the truth of what John said about Jesus. And things like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Things like, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Uh, He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He must increase, I must decrease. In other words, if they're going to acknowledge John the Baptist, they're going to have to ultimately acknowledge Jesus' authority. So Jesus kind of puts this delegation in an untenable situation, doesn't he? Right? He, they really could not have said much more than they said without either falling down and worshiping him or facing the ire of the people, neither of which they were going to do. But having exposed their lack of leadership integrity, Jesus then tells a very quick parable. A parable about two sons. The one who says the right thing does not fulfill his promise. The one who says the wrong thing later changes his mind and does the thing that he was asked to do. And it's not named explicitly, but this is one of those, uh, the first shall be last and the last shall be first kind of parables. Right? The son that seems to be righteous, the son that says to his father, oh yes, father, I will go and do what you've asked me to do. He is the one that turns out not to be righteous. And the one that seems to not be righteous says, I'm not going. I got better things to do. He turns out to be righteous because he has a change of heart. Which is to say, the one that looks like he's honoring the father's authority ultimately decides to be his own authority. While the one that looks like he's not honoring the father's authority ultimately does honor the Father's authority, and he enters the vineyard. So Jesus is calling the Pharisees to account. And he's accusing them of being like the brother who talks a good game, but doesn't do what the Father asks. The Pharisees were misusing the authority that had been entrusted to them. They were using their positional authority And even, I think, their scriptural knowledge to corral and control. But they were not using it to bless and invite and to guide. Uh, They were the kind of authorities whose office I would have wanted to stay out of. But you know what? Truth is, sometimes I'm the kind of authority whose office I wanted to stay out of. As a sort of related aside, I've, I've learned most of the time when I call somebody and ask them to come to my office for a meeting to remind them that they're not in trouble. When we have power, when we have position, when we have authority, so often we use it to promote ourselves or to protect our own interests. We use those that status to tell us who we are, especially in relationship to others. Sometimes we, you know, people, we misuse our status in big, audacious ways like bullying or embezzlement or something like that. But so much more often, so much more often, it's just subtle, like just perniciously subtle. You have this sense of self-importance of an air of entitlement spills into how we treat others. We look down our nose. We run through our own resumes in our own mind and compare those to others. What we do 
with our authority matters. What we do with our authority matters. And yet more often than not, what we do with our authority actually exposes our self-interest. And therefore it reiterates that we are right in the crosshairs of God's judgment. So what are we to do? I think the irony of this passage is in who these priests are talking to. They were coming concerned with the authority of God incarnate. Right? He is the they are literally talking to the son of God, the Messiah, the one through whom all things were made. He is the very measuring stick of goodness, the measuring stick of love, the author of holiness, the inventor of righteousness. He is the one to whom all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given. I mean, if anyone has a right to self-importance and entitlement, it is Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the supreme authority over all authorities. These weaselly Pharisees, and we can lump ourselves in there, or we can at least hold them up and compare ourselves, uh, see if we're in that group. They are concerned with protecting their position. And they're willing to wield what little authority they have to try and do so, to try to protect their position. And the contrast between them and Jesus is so striking. Because what does Jesus do, not just in this parable, but, but Jesus, the character of Jesus that we know, what does he do with his cosmic, divine, universal authority? Our passage from Philippians that Lisa read for us tells us. He tells us that Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not regard uh, his equality with God as something to be exploited. Another word to say that is uh, to be grasped, to be sought after, to be used to his own advantage. Who had more advantage or right to use his authority than God himself? But he didn't regard his God, his divinity, Uh, as a thing to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he showed incredible uh, humility. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He became uh, not just incarnate, but he became the lowest of the low in taking the form of a slave born in human likeness. He was the servant of all. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even further and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we know, this death on the cross is his sacrificial atoning death. That it is, in fact, uh, paying the price for all the things, all the selfishness, all the entitlement, all the the self-interest that we protect uh, ourselves with and misuse our own authority. And any other things that separate us from God. He has given himself for us to reconcile us to himself and the Father. He used his authority to save. And this is what happens that God in fact so highly exalted him that he gave him the name that is above every name. You want authority Listen to this, so that at the na- just the name of Jesus, that every knee should bend, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the supreme authority. And yet he uses it for your benefit, to protect your interests, to draw you to himself rather than to lift himself up. And yet in doing so, the Father lifts him up. Jesus calls us to account. He exposes the places in our hearts, the places in our lives where we have wandered from his will. But the parable actually shows us that what, like in whatever way we're the son that rebels against the father's will, whatever we're the way we're the son that ultimately says, uh, no, sir, it's never too late. It's never too late. He had a change of mind. As the King James actually uh, translates that, repentance. It's never too late to turn, to give ourselves once again even to the authority of the Father. For we come to the vineyard on the authority of the Son. So as we close, let's just take a minute. Maybe we're turning our whole lives. But maybe it's just one or two areas. We know that we have rebellion in our lives. We know that we've said, no, sir, I'm not going to go. Or we said we were going to go, but we didn't. And those things are glaring at us right now. Let's just offer those things to the Lord. Let's name it. Let's turn it to the Lord. And let's receive his grace and enter once again to the vineyard. If you want to talk about that, pray about that love to after the service. Amen.